Well, I want to um, start with this question. Uh, this is a question um, that is taught on day one of Angsty School for the Gifted, which is targeted at preteens. Um, and it comes complete with sort of body language and facial expression to sort of really teach how this should come across. And even if your kids don't enroll in a school like this, eventually they will get it. Um, every single teen goes through this, this picture where this question begins to really emerge over and over and over. And the question, why should I, I think, uh, can be a couple of things. Depending on your motive and your tone, the question, why should I, might be this heart-revealing rebel thing, right? Like, no matter what authority asks you, you're just like, why should I? And even if you're a more compliant, externally compliant kid, you might go, okay. But inside, you're like, why should I? So it could be that it's just revealing a rebel heart that just says no to all authority right out of the gate. But I actually think this could be the right question to ask as well. So as we're talking about things, as we're looking at the book of Acts, you are asking this. I don't need to give permission. You don't need my permission. But you are asking periodically, why should I get into the book of Acts? Why should I care about any other Christian, for that matter, especially one who lived a long time ago in a world completely different than mine? I think it's a good question. So that's a good question. I think, unless your heart and motive is just to sit here, arms folded, either physically or spiritually, just going, why should I? Right? Because then you might be just blocking yourself out from growth. So why should I is uh, digging into its hard work to sort of get into the story of the Bible. It's hard work to, to, um, to figure out what's really going on. And it's true in many, many spheres of life that the hard work pays off. In fact, we tell our kids regularly that immediate gratification often robs us of greater gratification. I mean, this is just true over and over and over in life. The immediate gratification often robs us of something much deeper and much richer. Oftentimes that we can't even see. We would, trust, we would need to trust someone else's opinion on that. My young son Tate was, um, was needing to go to bed, and we were just having a conversation two weeks ago about this. And, um, and I just told him, I said, you know, going to bed now doesn't feel like a good thing, but it'll pay off tomorrow. You're going to feel better tomorrow. So a little nine-year-old needs to trust dad's opinion on that, and he went to bed. Uh, he, he did a pretty good job that night, worked out really well, but that's the principle, right, is that immediate gratification often robs us of something much deeper later on that we can't see. So God is honored when we take pains to really get at what he is saying. God's honored by that. So don't lose sight of why we are carefully going through the book of Acts, Many approach the Bible kind of like a Google search, where you're searching for better, um, like sort of tips and tricks to better my life right now. And so they sort of approach the Bible like a Google search, or maybe like a Wikipedia article. This the problem with Google search or Wikipedia Bible searching and study is this: you will miss the story. You'll miss the story of Scripture. You'll miss the story of what God's actually doing. It turns out we don't, we don't only learn about uh, what people are like through stories. We actually connect with people through stories. 
And it's the same with God. So um, the Acts is the story of the early church. So we are digging into this. Why should I? Because we are learning about God and connecting with God as we look at the story of the early church. We've been saying goodbye to Matt in some various capacities. Tuesday was his last youth group with us. And uh, we played this Matt trivia game. And Matt trivia is really fun. Uh, if you know Matt. If not, it's just kind of a boring, weird game. Um, but facts aren't what connect us. In fact, every time there was a, uh, a Matt trivia game and a question came out, the reality was there was a story behind that trivia question. And so we just had a really good time sort of talking about and telling stories and remembering different things. When we shared at the end, this is the group kind of around a campfire and people are just calling out what they have appreciated about uh, Matt and the ministry here and his family. And when we shared at the end, you know what? Students didn't recite facts about Matt, did they? Matt, I just love how you're five foot something and um, <laughs> that your belt is this. I, what, it, just, like, that's nonsense. It was all stories. It was, I appreciate this in that one time that dot, dot, dot. So connect with the story of the Bible, and you connect with the author of the Bible. That's why we do the hard work. That's why we are uh, maybe robbing ourselves of immediate gratification of easy Bible study and saying, God, how do we dig in and really get the whole arc of what you are telling us? Did you know that God tells us why he preserves scripture, why he wrote things down? I mean, we don't need this. Like when something's important, we write it down, whether it's a contract or something you're, you know, you're leaving the kids for the night, and you're like, let me write this down and put it on the refrigerator. So it's really, really clear because it's really, really important. God does the same thing. Look at Romans 15. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So God preserves the story to help us in our story. But this passage goes on to say this, May the God of, encouragement and, of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how this passage connects endurance and encouragement that's found in the Bible to the author of the Bible? The one who provides endurance and encouragement. So why make sure we connect with the story of Scripture? It's how we connect with the author and make sense of the story that he's writing. All right, so just by way of review, we're nearing the end of Acts. We're going to wrap up here in a couple of weeks. We're taking two chapters this morning. But Paul has um, been taking what has been given to him, and he's been using it to speak to the wonders of God. He's actually modeling something all of us can do. None of us are Paul. All of us uh, have been created by God and can use that to benefit others. The very heart of share is what Paul is doing. This was from a sermon I did years and years and years ago. And the whole idea of share is this. We cannot share what we don't have. So should you feel guilty for not giving as much as your neighbor? Nonsense. That's idiotic. You don't have what your neighbor has. You only share what's been given to you. So you take what's been given to you, and the heart of share is to say, whatever it is, good or bad, I am going to submit this to the service of the Lord and benefit other people. I just talked about your story last week, and just sort of, Paul shares his testimony. And we've all been given a story, and those have good parts and those have bad parts. 
And when we share both the good parts and the hard parts and we offer it up to benefit other people, guess what? People learn about the author of our story. People connect with us through, through stories. It's super instructive that uh, as committed as Paul is to opening his mouth for God and as dramatic as his story is, we actually hear him most talk about the hero of his story, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Very rarely do we see him dip into his own story as if somehow the power is in his dramatic uh, conversion and uh, progress in the gospel. So because the same God who authored Paul's story is writing your story, I invite you to sort of lean in and listen up. Do you know this? Uh, Researchers have found, I just came across this the other day, I had to jot this down. Research found that if you lean forward for like 10 seconds, this actually activates parts of your brain that like lean towards expectation and new information, all that. So just body, God created us all as one. So maybe in your chair physically, you lean forward. Just don't put your hands like this and lean your head down or it's going to fall asleep. Okay. So just lean in a little bit. And here we go. Chapters 23 and 24. Um, Eli, go get me some water, buddy. Thank you so much. I bring my water up here every week and it seems like I never use it. And right now I'm desperate for some water. Um, All right, so Paul, in chapters 23 and 24, let me summarize, we're not going to read the whole two chapters, but Paul is in the midst of plots and trials. And when I say the word trials, for Paul it's often true, but these are literal court trials that he's in the middle of. But also the other way we would use trials, which means uh, minor inconveniences and really bad stuff going on. So Paul's just in the thick of it. This is just sort of his lifestyle. And through it all, Paul remains on mission. So seeing how Paul, the Apostle Paul, does this is really instructive for us. He is stirring up endurance and encouragement in our own pains and plot twists. So what I want to do for you this morning, if you're taking notes, you're going to just jot down three things that Paul's life proves beyond a doubt. Paul's life proves three things beyond the shadow of a doubt. Other things, no doubt. But as we do this, think about your own life. What does your life prove beyond the shadow of a doubt? Thank you so much, buddy. Mm. Give it up. He is really good at getting water. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Number one, if you're taking notes, jot this down. God's rescue is deep and wide. Look at that. There's my title slide. Let's go one more. There we go. God's rescue is deep and wide. What I mean by this is that one size doesn't fit all with this author's style. Jesus was the same way when he healed people, when he interacted with people. I mean, it is just so varied. People need saving. Not once, but over and over and over again. Consider Paul. Paul's testimony includes um, salvation by by blinding, uh, dramatic fashion, but also he has this ongoing need of rescue from other evil people who are trying to stop him, from physical elements, from his own internal struggles. And here's what's powerful. God comes through. You look at Paul's life, and what you see is this, and God's rescue is deep and wide. When Paul needed to be rescued from his own misguided rage at Christians before he was a Christian, guess what? God came through. When Paul needed rescue from the crushing weight of performance for validation, that's the heart of a Pharisee, performance for validation, you know what? God came through. He rescued him from that. When Paul needed escape with his life from people who hated his message, God came through. How? 
in crazy ways. Remember, he was let out of a, a wall in a basket by some people. That's one way that he was rescued. He also had strangers that stood up for him and argued um, for trial instead of murder. So if you're ever faced with a, a, you know, should we murder him or put him to trial? You're always wanting to lean over here. And some stranger stepped out and said, let's do that route. That's God's rescue coming through. In this chapter, Paul needs rescue from himself, internal sin, and from external sin. So let me show that to you. Uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 1. If you're there, just follow along. It says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, and by the way, remember the council is shorthand for Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and just sort of this Roman cohorts who's watching over these Jews. That's kind of what's happening. That's what the council is. Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's trash talk in the early centuries. <laughs> Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Verse 5 is the answer. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Doesn't it seem like we're always in an election cycle? For me, like, I don't know why, but all of a sudden, like, we're always in some election cycle. Let me say this, church. Let me say this, Christian. Whether your guy or gal is in office or not, learn from Paul. Oh, I did something wrong. He backs off. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. As part of Paul's defense... Catch the flow of the story. As part of his defense, he is pointing out the work God has done to sanctify him. Paul has experienced the peace of Christ. Paul has experienced the total transformation of his character. And he's actually putting on display. Can you imagine going before the council and saying, I have a clear conscience. Investigate my life. I'm I'm a changed man because of the work Christ has done in me. And then wham! He reacts in angry sin with his sharp tongue. God's gifted him a sharp tongue. It used to be used against Christians and against Jesus. Jesus said, you're on the wrong team. Paul goes, whoa, blinding light. He changes teams. He's now using that same sharp, quick-witted tongue to just shoot down the enemy's silly arguments. But in a moment of weakness, and I think the rest of us can say, Paul, I think we'd be weak too, he gets struck, boom, And that sinful, angry tongue comes back to shoot darts back. Here's what's really, really powerful. When confronted with his sin, in an instant, when confronted with his sin, he doesn't justify it. Look at this scenario. Is Paul both right and wrong? Yeah, he is. Is it worthwhile putting a percentage on how right Paul is versus how much wrong he did? I don't think so. I've never found that very helpful. But let me just say, even if you're 90% right and you're 10% wrong, here's what Paul teaches us. He doesn't use his 90% right, catch this, to justify his 10% wrong. I hope that convicts you because that means you're hearing the message. That doesn't convince you. You didn't hear it. Go back and listen to the podcast later on. That's just convicting. Even if you're 
10% wrong. How many of us would be so tempted to just use all this 90% weight and start justifying that sin? Paul doesn't do that. You know what that is? That's God coming through for Paul to rescue Paul from Paul. If Paul needs rescuing from Paul, he's just like the rest of us. We all need rescue from ourselves. That's the grace we've been singing about. That's the man on the cross who was God's son, who rose again, who offers us a new path to say, you don't need to justify it. You've lived that life, Paul. Lay it all down. Repent. Go the right way. That's what he does. But he didn't just need rescuing from sinning. He needed rescue from being sinned against. So after trying the legal route to no avail, here's what Paul does. He skillfully divides the council. He throws out one little bit of tidbit. You can read it for yourself. But he was one of them. He used to be a Pharisee. Not just a Pharisee, but like the rising star of the Pharisees. So he knew exactly what would divide the council. So he sort of tosses that bomb into the room really, really skillfully. And he leverages that for good. So the enemies of God become the enemies of Paul because Paul's on God's team. Verse 12, look at it. Trials and legal proceedings aren't working to shut this man up. Verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Friends, when the plot twist in your story involves a plot to kill you, you need rescue. You need God to come through in that moment. That's where Paul was at. This time, we've already seen him get lowered by by a basket. We've already seen him be rescued in all these different ways. How does God use it? How is God's rescue deep and wide and varied? It's his little nephew who happens to overhear this whole thing. God uses Paul's nephew to overhear the plot. And then, I don't even know the details because the scriptures don't give them, but the nephew, however old it is, doesn't say, has to make his way into the prison, tell Paul about it. No one, no one knows the secret. He gets back out, and the whole thing turns around for good. The Roman th- authorities now have word, and God's rescue is deeper and wider and more imaginative than we can imagine. The way Paul is rescued in this moment is this ready-made Roman army shows up at the command of the commanders, and he gets escorted out of town VIP style. Look at verse 23. Then he called two centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. It's a lot. To go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. As a Christian, I think over and over and over, we ought to have these little internal moments where we go, wow, truth is stranger than, than fiction. I don't think Paul would have even thought to pray for this, but this is how God chooses to rescue. He's probably thinking, man, you can't make this stuff up. Not only do I now have a huge protective entourage, but I am heading up the coast on my way to Rome. Why is that such a giant deal? Because we've been watching Paul for chapters now, which translates to years, that he has a deep sense from God. I must preach in Jerusalem and after that to Rome. 
Church, I'm not sure what you are needing rescue of today. By the way, if it's nothing, hold on, because something's coming. That's just the nature of life, right? If you're like, I can't think of anything, like brace yourself. Just say, okay, God, help me to hold on, because some storm is coming. Maybe it is sin from within, or maybe it is sin from without. But sin plagues our progress in life. Whether it's financial struggles right now, whether it's some kind of addiction or relational pain, hear me, friends, God comes through. He doesn't just rescue you as if your testimony is, I walked an aisle, I signed a card, I prayed a prayer, some yesteryear. God comes through today. And trust me, you need it. I need it. His rescue is deeper than you can hope or imagine. Maybe you've been wronged or misunderstood or plotted against. God comes through. His rescue is wide and varied and surprising. God doesn't come through to rescue you like a SWAT team. A SWAT team appears out of nowhere. They rescue you and then boom, they're gone. God's with you always. He's never left you on the journey. Perhaps worse than our own pain in a story is as a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle to watch the pain of your child. Someone you just care deeply about. As parents, we have this innate sense. It just says, I'd much rather take the bullet myself. I'd much rather take the disease myself. God, if there's any way you can transfer that pain to me, I'm all in right now. Life doesn't work that way. I was talking with a friend this week. He laid out the plot twists and pain that their kid is enduring right now. And he shared with me as he began to just share some of the prayers he was praying over his child. And as he just sort of dreamt and thought up, he has a long history of God's wide, deep, and varied and surprising rescue in his life. So his prayers were were actually pretty fantastic, like what he was hoping and dreaming what's really powerful is this. There's no some happy, neat, tied up, happy ending at the end. But here's how I left that meeting. God is coming through. Right now. God is in the process of coming through in this family's story. Do we believe the words of Jesus in Luke 10, 19 when he says these simple words? Nothing can harm you. Really, nothing can harm you. Number two, Paul's life proves that God's plans are better. So if you haven't been rescued yet, it's just not God's timing or God's way. But Paul's life also proves this. God's reassurances are always right on time. Paul's story is like the best of stories. We'd love to have his story, but not really. Because the very best stories are so incredibly bright and the mountaintops are so inspirational. Why? Because the dark and the valley was so incredibly hard. So you watch a movie, you're like, oh, I want to live a life like that, but only part of it. Like there's a whole part you don't want to live. So we all lean in and like want these great stories, but oftentimes the depth of the darkness someone's in, we're like, but not that part. Actual life is not an Instagram account, right? Where you can just edit and filter at whim. Instead, life just comes at you And if we just posted every single picture, once a day, we just posted one sort of capturing idea or mood mood or event going on, it would all look very different. That's how life actually is. 
So God's given Paul this passion to go to Jerusalem one last time and then on to Rome. What's his motive for that vacation? No. So he can preach the glorious name of his Savior, Jesus Christ. He's going to two political powers, a a religious power in Jerusalem and the center of the political world in Rome. Talk about just a grand dream. This is what God has put on his heart. And then in this chapter, we're let in on another unmistakable reassurance of God. Look at verse 11. When does the reassurance of God come through for you in a really profound way? Answer, right on time. I don't know what that is for you. For Paul, in this instance, it comes between unjust court proceedings that devolve into a brawl and the murder pact of 40, more than 40 people who want to kill him immediately. And in verse 11, it says this, The following night, the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me, In Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Here's what's so powerful. God's not only strong to rescue, he's kind to reassure. Not good news. I mean, that's part of why, like, when you sing, there's times you just can't sing anymore. You're like, oh, you're just so good. God, your goodness is running after me. If I stop and take stock, I I just, I can't even keep writing or thinking. You're so good, not just to rescue me, but to reassure me. God supernaturally confirms in unmistakable ways to Paul right in this moment. He stood by him and said, of all the story going on in Acts, there's only a tiny few slivers of these. Verse 11 is just a couple of little words, but they change the story completely, don't they? If you put yourself in Paul's place, you're like, oh yes, that's exactly what I would have needed to hear. When you live out your faith, you are opposed The good that God does in you and the good that God does through you has an enemy that is forcibly working to not only stop you or shut you up, but to destroy you. That's the story we actually find ourselves in. God is with you and he lets you know. I have a lot of children And each one needs different kinds of rescue and reassurance. But I'll tell you what's consistent with every one of my kids. I I not only allow hard things into their life, I lead them into hard things on purpose. And it's motivated completely out of love. My oldest is now 26. When he was quite young, I brought him on a call that I had with a guy named Richard. Some of you remember Richard. Richard was a homeless guy that lived about a mile away and got saved, spent the last year of his life off the streets, much to the utter amazement of his family in Ohio. And we did his funeral service right here. Well, this was on that journey. (laughs) On that journey between sleeping under a bridge and becoming a son of the Most High King, I got a phone call late at night and Richard had had another bender and he was picked up for disorderly contact, and he was at Valley Medical Hospital. So I grabbed my relatively young son at the time, and we went, and over a Boston Market hot meal, I picked him up, and uh, we sat over a Boston Market hot meal, and he gave one of the best sermons you could ever imagine on the dangers of too much alcohol in someone's life. 
It's really powerful. And he was a friend to our family at this point, so we knew him. And all through that process, there were little scary moments. It was hard, but it grew my son. And a couple little moments, there was just a little look shot. There was just a touch. I guess it's going to be okay. We're in this strange place. There's a lot of intensity in this emergency room, and people are doing things, and the cops are there, and all kinds of crazy stuff's happening. Well, that led to other times, and we were on this, we'd be on the streets of San Francisco late at night, surrounded by hard and bad cases, and at just the right times, as best as my ability, I would reassure my kids. Many of them have gone with me over the years with this. And the message is, I'm right here, I'm with you, I'm not going anywhere, it's okay. What we do when we're in trouble is we look to the person in authority, the person with the experience. This is true on a flight, right? If the flight attendants are doing okay, just chill. If it's bumpy and the flight attendants are freaking out, freak out. That's the time, man. That's the time to get your life straightened out. Here's the reality. The earthly father will get this right much of the time, but I am in control of so very few things. Here's the beautiful thing. Your heavenly father gets this right all the time. And it's always right on time. If you put yourself in Paul's shoes, I'm sure Paul wanted more of these words of reassurance. Wouldn't it be great if every single Sunday when he was teaching in the temple, as soon as he was done, he got a little valuation? Good job. Keep going. Keep doing this. You're on your own. Don't forget. He didn't get that. Here's what's interesting. He seems to get just enough. I don't know what reassurances you've gotten or not gotten, but Paul, I think, gets just enough. If it's too much, it topples this life of faith he's called to, this trusting life of faith, step by step by step. And if it's too little, maybe he would have given up or given in. God is a good father and a perfect leader. He uses reassurances from his world, from other people, from his word, from the the little details of your story to say, I'm right here, keep going. My plan is still Rome, Paul, take courage. Number three is this, uh, Paul's life proves that God's route is there. Again, I put verse 11 in there because that's just Jesus saying, yeah, it's still Rome. I know lots is going on, but it's still Rome. So even without the details, Paul is sure of his work and his identity as a witness of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here today, let me be really, really clear. That's your mission and identity as well. You may not have the details laid out. It may be utterly confusing to you, but your identity and your mission is that you are currently present tense witnesses of Jesus Christ. Edie can come from Venezuela to Colombia to California, back to South America. She could go to Italy tomorrow or Iceland, and she is still a witness of Jesus Christ, no matter where she is, no matter what training she has or hasn't had, no matter what opportunities are in front of you or don't appear to be in front of you. That's crystal clear for us. It's so good of God to give us that. This is from early on in the series This whole idea of just keep walking. God's route is as secure as the steel on a bridge. I can't see it, but I'm absolutely positive that it's still there. I'm going to keep walking. I'm sure God will show me what I need to show before it gets to the end. We just mentioned Camden and Ava. They were sitting right over here with their last Sunday with us. They are now married. Josh, little tear. 
Joshua's the best man. My new nickname for Josh is best man. Like I just see him, I'm all best man. So it's kind of a lot of pressure. Pray for Josh. He did, he did a great thing during the speech. I thought this was so good. It stayed with me, bro. He said, as Camden's roommate, I'm really going to miss you. He's like, I'm not going to lie. I may shed a tear. He said, but he was so excited for his new eternal roommate. <laughs> I'm like, that's just so gold. Camden and Ava are now married and off in Brooklyn. So once again, another great hello and difficult goodbye to just say hi to this great young couple that we're super excited for. As Becky and I were driving to the wedding, we stopped at North Beach for some pizza in Little Italy. And the way that we came to the Golden Gate Bridge, we sort of came along the waterfront. And all of the bridge and all of the bay was perfectly clear and calm. It was just a stunning view. It was hard for me to like sneak glances while I'm doing San Francisco traffic. Because I'm trying to stay in the lane. I'm trying to do the thing. But I'm like, ah! And here's what it reminds me from our series. There are seasons of time. Some of, some of my life, slivers of my life, have been just like that. Where God so clearly shows me the plan. And I just, there's not an ounce of doubt of the love and goodness and nearness of God in those seasons. He gives me glimpses. I go, yes, I see it. The bridge goes there. The bay's there. People in Sausalito need Jesus too. I get it. I'm going. And when you have those seasons, when you have moments where you just go, there it is. That's the vista. That's what I think I'm supposed to be doing. Lock that in. Be thankful for it. But don't demand that. To, like, Don't hold that as this chip of saying, unless I see the whole plan, God, I can't move forward. God doesn't work that way with people. Here's the truth of any, any day in San Francisco. The fog is always coming back. Amen? Always. It's always coming back. Probably in a couple of hours. So if you're there and you get that, just stop and let that be a holy moment. Say, I see it. I get it. It's inevitable that this is going to be successful. God, lock this in my brain. Because there's coming days like this where it's going to be foggy and I won't be able to see it. Plots and lies and false accusations and misunderstandings abound for the Christian. This series, God has been preparing us for dark, difficult days. They may be going on right now. They may be coming. Where we are is that today, stories of totalitarian regimes where Christian uh, martyrs across the seas have had to make a choice of either sort of obey the laws of the land or hold tight to the one true God. They're starting to look more and more. I've been praying for overseas martyrs for my, much of my life. They're starting to look more and more like, like today's headlines. There's starting to be a lot more crossover. And as I sort of look at our own season that we're in, I think about this. I pray that you as a Christian in this room are experiencing pushback. I pray that you are experiencing, whether you feel tension in your gut or the sweat of your palms or the throbbing of your head, I hope there are times of just pushback and discomfort in your life. You know why? We are called to live a quietly godly life. I pray you're pursuing a quiet godly life. But if you're pursuing a godly quiet life, and you guys see me just do this all the time, that is pointed towards the cross, when the Bible tells us just the whole world, much of the world is walking this way, away from the cross, their back turned to God, then a quiet, 
steadfast life that's pointed at the cross is going to at first annoy and then eventually anger people, especially as you open up your mouth and say, hey, come this way with me. You're going the wrong way. If you just walk quietly, you're bumping into people, people are annoyed, hey, get with the program, go this way. So I pray that you're experiencing pushback. And if nothing overtly is happening right now, if no one's, anyone have a plot against their life that they know of? Like, I don't either, right? But it could happen. If nothing that intense is going on right now, think of this as preseason. Think of this as like, man, we're running drills. We're actually getting hit by a team that's opposing us. Because dark days are coming for the Christian. But God's route is there. He has a path for you to walk in today. So keep stepping out in faith. You know, I began this morning with story, how because of the author, our story is connected not only to one another, but to the stories in the New Testament. As I wrap up, let me take you even further back to the Old Testament. This is the Bible that Paul read. This is what Paul read for instruction and encouragement to keep carrying on. We find stories in the Old Testament just like ours there. Look at how rescue, reassurance, and rout are all clear as day in the days of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are utterly clear on the route of their life. Worship the one true God. They're living in a land and a regime that doesn't worship the one true God. They're super cool with you worshiping any God for now. Sounds really familiar. Worship the one true God. That's the route. As always, there's fierce opposition. The president of their day can't stand being opposed. And in Daniel chapter 3, it says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar, catch this, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. There's someone disobeying my edict, my commands. He actually thinks himself merciful because he's giving them a chance to correct their mistake and bow to his will And he then gives this ultimatum, but if you don't, certain death by a fiery furnace. And then in verse 15, he says this, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You hear the arrogance? You hear the rage? They don't want to just shut these guys up. They want to destroy them. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. We missed what, there it is. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have come to set up? The answer, bow to me, bow to my will, or die, is, oh, oh, king. And that's with a little k, little king. Our God comes through. Our God's rescue is sure. Nothing can harm us. And they add this, even if he doesn't spare us the pain of the fire in this life, We will awake from the dream of earth to the dawn of eternity. That's our hope. So you can't harm us. That's what, like, our eternal life, catch this, has already begun. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? You don't hold power over me anymore. We're alive and well and always will be. Verse 19 says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. If his face was red-faced before, now he's like popping veins out of his forehead. He is now filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Christian, never be surprised at the fiery ordeal you are walking through. Keep walking. Keep trusting. With that, these three are thrown into the fire by God's enemy. And this story, in profound ways, actually looks back on Scripture and forward in Scripture. What happens? A fourth figure appears. Who's the fourth figure? The Bible describes it as a a, a divine figure shows up that looks like a person. This is Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And they are walking around, the four of them, in the fire, having a little dance party or something. I don't know. But that's a pretty cool scene. Isaiah 43. Who knew that maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe Paul, maybe us would take comfort from Isaiah 43, and maybe, just maybe, God's Rescue is so much more than we can hope or imagine that it will actually come through in very concrete ways. Look at Isaiah 43. It says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Verse 2 says this, When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. doesn't just come with rescue, it comes with reassurance. Verse 5, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew this about God. Did they ever imagine that in a very concrete way, this exact thing would go on and that they would experience it? Think about Paul. Paul grew up knowing that God was a deliverer by story. But his life changed when he began to experience it in his own story. And that changed everything. It's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to live it. Red-faced fury is also directed at Paul. Fires and firing squad are just a part of his every other week life in Christ. And along with those, the sweet assurances from Jesus, where he comes next to Paul and says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Friends, the author is alive and well, and he's still writing. Band, why don't you come on up? As they come up, don't be distracted. Listen to this carefully. I don't know how well you know your story, but John Calvin, and yes, I'm throwing in one more final John Calvin quote for Matt. I actually quoted him before Matt come. I'll quote him after. First two institutes of John Calvin's institutes are these. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Number two, without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. I bring those up because stories speak to the soul. 
Instead of just grabbing one scene or snippet or quote out of the whole play of the book of Acts, you know what we've done? We've said, God, the author, we honor your unfolding story. And by looking at a whole book of the Bible that's really challenging, we actually find points of glory and sparkles to the diamond that we, we could have never gotten just Wikipediaing or just searching for little tips and tricks, a couple of little things. We see over and over and over how over the whole arc of Paul's life, God is working and authoring and being glorified. Friends, it's not accidental that by far the largest genre of biblical literature is historical narrative. Story. It tells us that the faith of Israel that's been handed down to us is founded not on lofty ideas or ideals, but in God's acts in human history. Would you pray with me? God, you are not only good, but you are a good friend. You are a good father. And God, I pray just over my own life afresh, I pray over our church, over our community, God, that even in the parts of our story that are sour to us, that we want to spit out with disgust and never think about again, are able to be redeemed and used to show off how good and rescuing you are. God, they can be submitted to you to be healed and actually freed from, not just ignored. God, help us to trust you with that. We need that in our life. It's something called grace, and it's ours for free today because of the sacrifice of Jesus in our place.